Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I have uh, Scott Hubbard in studio, not only for the first half hour, but for the full hour. And I've got a special treat coming up in the second half hour. But I have a special treat this half hour, too, because we're going to talk about an article that is in DesiringGod.org. It's called Slow to Anger, the Beauty of God's Perfect Patience. And I think when Scott went to writing school, he was topping his class in having a catchy opening first couple of sentences. Because every time I read one of Scott Hubbard's articles from DesiringGod.org, I'm instantly hooked. And I'm going to give you the first couple sentences to get things started. Many of the most common troubles in the Christian life come from relating to God as if he were like us, as if his kindness were as slight as our kindness, his forgiveness as reluctant as our forgiveness, his patience as fleeting as our patience. Under impressions such as these, we walk uneasily through the Christian life, insecurity rumbling like distant thunder. Those are the words by author Scott Hubbard. He's an editor at Desiring God, and he is uh, with me here in studio. Scott, welcome. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, You got the catchiest starts to every article (laughs) that you have. Not only is your content great, but the, the way you start is always so engaging. Well, here's the thing. Writing online is not like writing in some other venues where you have more uh, buy-in from your readers already. So it's you know it's a good principle for writing in general to begin with something that is going to... Start strong. Yeah, start strong, get reader buy-in. But especially in an online age where people have you know so many options of what to read and you yeah. want to... Isn't it just like us, though, to think, well, I, I, I'm kind of patient, so God yeah. must be patient too, right? <laughs> or you think of yourself as a kind person and you go, yeah. is that is that how kind God is? Yeah, it's easy to project oh, the yeah. kind of ways that we are, whether related to our own kindness or patience or love or the ways that we respond to other people. And it's easy to do it subconsciously, not really even to know exactly what we're doing, but to under the surface, under the hood, be relating to God, not as his word says he is, but as <laughs> we ourselves reflect on him based on what we're like. I know. Or our own experiences with other people in the past. And there lies the trouble. There lies a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, amen. The article is called Slow to Anger, The Beauty of God's Perfect Patience. And I love the title. So um, maybe we can we can dig in. You start with a great John Owen quote as well. Um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm smiling just because... You always have to take a little bit of a deep breath before you read a John Owen quote. <laughs> I know. He, he, That's uh, why I'm letting you <laughs> de- deconstruct yeah, that one. Go ahead. He's you know a 17th century English pastor, and the wording is a little bit archaic, but if you're able to get through it, he just has so much gold. So he says, Want of a due consideration of him with whom we have to do, measuring him by that line of our own imaginations, bringing him down unto our thoughts and our ways, is the cause of all our disquietments, which translated in my words is to say, all our troubles, and you you might say Owen is overstating the case or exaggerating for effect there, but 
all of our troubles come from relating to God according to the measure of our own imaginations mm. rather than according to who he says he is in his word. Yeah, let's just stay in the word, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The word is a re-education of who God is and what he is like over and over and against the lessons that we learn from our culture, the lessons we learn from our own instinctive personalities and fears and doubts and the lessons that we learn from our own experiences, some of which are true, but many of which are wrong. Mm-hmm. Scott Hubbard is my guest, and you can learn more about Scott at DesiringGod.org. And his article that we're discussing is called Slow to Anger, The Beauty of God's Perfect Patience. Now, Scott, if, uh, if we were God in heaven, and this is right from your article, would we have grown impatient with people like us long ago? Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I, I thought mean, you were going to say. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and we know because we grow impatient with people like us totally. all the time. Yeah. Both other people who have the same kind of sins and foibles that we ourselves have, and we grow impatient with ourselves. And, and we start to wonder how in the world could God remain patient and steadfast in his love toward me? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we lose patience with other people easily. Our anger rises quickly when we're personally offended. And yet we personally offend God all the time by the wow. ways that we sin. Wow. And yet his patience endures. Yeah. Scott, how important is the daily renewal of our minds? So important. This is why we read the Bible every day and why we read it again and again. Because so much of who God is, so much of what he is like is not native to our sinful imaginations. Mm-hmm. And often we learn a truth and then functionally we live as if it's not true anymore. And so so we just need to hear the same stuff over and over again, don't we? How do we get that through our thick heads? Yeah, over time, through the faithfulness of the Lord, showing it to us not only by word, but by experience. And, you know, he's patient not only toward our sin, but also patient to teach us the same lessons again and again. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about our anger and how it can rise so quickly. And that that is not becoming of Christians. I should say it's not becoming of me because I have an anger that can spike. Yeah. I mean, so this is one of the ways we're tempted to view God as less patient than he really is because we ourselves just instinctively <laughs> uh, become, you know, from the low grade stuff like annoyance and feeling perturbed and irritated just mm-hmm. by the way the, the tones that people have and the way that people treat us to to the real more you know more heavy stuff of of feeling feelings of deep indignation or some kind of smoldering bitterness and that's not to say that those feelings are never justified because there is such a thing as the right kind of anger holy anger but it's to say that a lot of the time our anger rises and we respond in ways that are so that falls so short of the patience of God. Mm-hmm. And we can so easily transpose our own, re- our own responses to people, our own responses to ourselves sometimes onto, ah, oh, this, is, this is the way that God is. Mm-hmm. Scott, let's visit Isaiah 55, 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's right. And one of the, this is one of those verses that's common. People know this verse. And oftentimes we speak about it in context of the mystery. We don't know what God is doing or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, he, in mystery of, of suffering or those kinds of things. And the verse fits there. It applies. But immediately in the context, the God is saying that his thoughts are not like our thoughts. His ways are not like our ways because he abundantly pardons. 
and he welcomes the wicked when the wicked turn from their way. And so the context of that verse is saying, in our way of relating to other people, we don't abundantly pardon like the Lord abundantly pardons. We don't welcome and forgive the wicked like the Lord welcomes and forgives the wicked. And he's saying, my ways are higher than that. My thoughts are higher than that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're not like the ways that we relate to other people. And I mean, his kindness too. It's not our kindness. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, all across the board, uh, the ways that we are, uh, when we boil over, uh, so easily in the face of, you know, criticism and little slights, his kindness, mm-hmm. res- he responds in kindness, he responds in patience, he responds in mm-hmm. steadfast love. We do learn about God's wrath. We do learn about his anger towards sin. So let's talk about uh, this God that we meet in scripture who, as you say, is a relentlessly patient God. Yeah, that's right. I think one of the categories to have in mind is when we think about the patience of God, often when we use that word patience, we think the ability to wait for a long time. You know, if you're a patient person, you can uh, go to the grocery store and you can pick the longest line and you're just that kind of person. You're happy just waiting there. Or you can go to the doctor's office and you're okay. Oh yeah, 15 minutes past appointment time. Sure, that's fine. You're you're patient. (laughs) But almost always when the scriptures talk about patience, either God's patience or the patience that Uh, God calls us to, it's relating to how we respond in the face of offense. Mm. So scriptural biblical patience is not simply the ability to wait a long time, but the ability to keep showing kindness to other people who treat you really poorly. Mm -hmm. That's what it means to be patient. And that's what it means for God to be patient. All right, Scott Hubbard, talk about God's patience uh, relative to our sin. So the, the key moment where this aspect, this attribute of God's character comes out and then is remembered for generations to come is in the story of the golden calf with Israel. Great point. They've just come out of slavery in Egypt and they've seen all these displays of God's power from the Red Sea splitting to the Egyptian army being swallowed by the sea to all those plagues to the Sinai being, you know, wrapped in smoke and fire. And then when Moses is gone for several days, mm-hmm. they make this golden calf and they bow down to worship yeah. it. Their first moments of freedom. That's right. And they exchange the glory of the living God for a cow. For a cow. Yeah. That's right. Gold and, figure. Yeah. And in response to that, you do see an expression of God's judgment because there is, um, he, there is a judgment on the people. Some mm-hmm. of them die. A good number of them die. And yet, from all uh, from all standpoint of what, what what would be justly deserved, Israel should be totally done at this point. Israel should no longer be a people of God. They have just committed to covenant with God and to be faithful to Him. And in their first moments, they fail so miserably to what they agreed to. And yet, in that moment, under that darkest of skies, God says to Moses, "Moses, here is who I am: the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious." slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Mm, that's the God I will follow. This is who I am. Yeah. And it is that, that verse is the most repeated sentence throughout the rest of the Old Testament. That, that right? just becomes a refrain hmm. from the, the Psalms to the prophets. The people, they remember this, especially when times are hardest. They say, this is who our God has revealed himself to be, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And therefore mm-hmm. we have hope. Yeah, I'm I just, I love that he's slow to anger, but I sometimes think he might be impatient 
with us for our foolishness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking personally right now, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, again, one of the... I, there are probably some helpful categories that we need to distinguish here because it's true that the Lord can be displeased with us. Mm-hmm. We need that category. You know, the New Testament talks quite a few times exhorting us to walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. Exactly. So it's possible to please him. It's possible to displease him. Yeah, yeah. But when we think about the the displeasure of God, which results in the discipline from, mm-hmm. from our Father, yeah, it would be wrong to uh, impute to him the kind of impatience that we so often feel, that yeah. kind of irritable, just... Uh, I want to be done with you kind of response that is so native to our own sinful hearts. That's not the, that's not the picture we get. Uh, you get at times, of course, that uh, God needs to respond to his people with a hard word. He needs to respond with discipline. But even there, it's from a place of him being slow to anger, yeah. from him being patient yeah, with us. Great point. It's like in Revelations 3, I rebuke and punish all whom I love. That's right. And be in earnest then and turn from your sins. Yeah. That's right. I like that. All right. Scott Hubbard's my guest. Uh, You can learn more about Scott at DesiringGod.org. The article that we are talking about today that he wrote is called Slow to Anger, The Beauty of God's Perfect Patience. We'll take a break and be right back with Scott. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to the show today. Scott Hubbard's my guest. He's right here with me in studio. He's an editor for Desiring God, and he's a pastor at All People's Church and a graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary. Lives right here in the Twin Cities with his wife and two uh, children. We're talking about God's patience, the beauty of God's perfect patience and slow to anger. Scott, maybe we chat a little bit about uh, God's patience towards his enemies. Yeah, so... This was striking to me as I was studying this topic because it's clearly a theme in the scriptures that God is patient toward his people. And we talked earlier about Exodus 34, where he he tells Moses that I am slow to anger. This is part of my very name. And that name is specifically God's covenant name for his people Israel. It's Yahweh, Yahweh. That's who the slow to anger God is. And yet in scripture, the most forceful, the most striking examples of the wrath and judgment of God, they begin as examples of the patience of God. Mm. So if you just run down a list of some of the most, the most striking examples of God's wrath, if you think of the flood or the um, wars of Canaan when Israel enters the promised land or um, the plagues over Egypt, or even if you think of, you go to the New Testament and Think of eternal judgment. Each of those, the scripture speaks about them in terms of the of, of first as the patience of God. So Peter talks about how 
in the days of Noah, the patience of God waited as the ark was being prepared. Noah is preaching. He's preaching to the world around him, calling for repentance. This is an expression of God's patience before judgment falls. Or God speaking to Abraham in Genesis 15, and he says that the his people aren't going to enter into the promised land yet because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And he waits for 400 years <laughs> after that moment. And then Israel enters the land and the wars happen. Or even Paul in Romans 9 talking about the patience of God, God dealing with people who uh, are never going to turn to him, vessels of wrath, he calls them, who God deals with them with much patience, he says. And so the patience of God is a patience that is expressed across the board. Yes, when the time for judgment comes, his wrath is revealed. But until then, God warns, God invites, and God holds out his patience. Mm-hmm. Scott Hubbard's my guest. Scott, let's get to First uh, Timothy 1, 15 and 16, because that's the verse where we see um, some pretty amazing examples of God's patience. Yeah, that's right. So this is Paul talking to Timothy and he's rehearsing his own testimony, his own story of grace, how God saved him. And the we, we meet the wonderful phrase here, his perfect patience. Mm. So Paul says that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So part of what Jesus wants us to see in the way that he saved Paul Mm. is that he is a perfectly patient savior. And he wants us to see that people or, and especially people who have not yet come to him and who wonder if they can come to him because they're such a big sinner and they're wondering if they've outsinned the patience of God. Mm-hmm. The example is Paul of Paul is particularly for people like that to say he is perfect in patience. Oh, okay. That that shines a new light on that verse because I love that verse. I've memorized that verse. But that is a very interesting uh, perspective for me to look at it. Um, yeah. Because you always think, well, Paul's saying um, Jesus came to save the world of sinners. I am the worst of all of them. I go, is that a little hyperbole or... <laughs> But if you look at it from this perspective, it teaches us a new, a new lesson about God's patience. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, so he's, he's calling out the fact, he, he says a few verses earlier, that he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent opponent. So yeah. Paul felt that so deeply down yeah. in his bones, the fact that he once hated the name of Jesus and sought to kill his people. Right. And so he's saying, if the Lord Jesus can save a person like me, mm-hmm. then he can save a person like you. Yeah. And imagine what Paul lived with his whole life. I mean, yeah. Every time he came around a corner, that was, oh, there's the Christian hater, right? Yeah, that's right. Despite what he was saying, he still had a reputation. He had a reputation. And that doesn't go away overnight. No way. Yeah. The, the, those Surely those are nightmares to him, remembrances of what he had done. Mm-hmm. So I love uh, Paul's uh, story of God's divine patience. Um, what about when we wander from him? Yeah. So Paul, that, that verse, 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, is particularly toward the person who has not yet come to Jesus for the first time and who wonders if he or she can because the sin is so great. But then, you know, you wonder, okay, for those who have come to him and who feel like a disappointment to the Lord Jesus, they, they trust in him, they love him, 
They are seeking to follow him, and yet they just have a nagging sense that they are a disappointment to the Lord. Mm-hmm. To them, the patience of God does not cease. The, the herald, the confession of Israel in the Old Testament is not that the Lord, the Lord, a God who was slow to anger, but a God who is slow to anger. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so is his patience. Mm-hmm. It, it endures. It is at the beginning. It is at the middle. It will be at the end. The patience of God is how, is how any of us, any sinner like us is going to yeah. make it to the end. Yeah. And Jesus, his own ministry was one that was filled with patience. I mean, how many times did he say, ye of little faith, I mean, yeah. how, how impatient he might have felt, but he didn't. Yeah. I mean, if you just think of who Jesus is and who he was around, the fact that he was as patient <laughs> as he was is a marvel. You think of how easily we get impatient, and now you think, what if he were sinless? You know, you're <laughs> we're sinners and we get patient, impatient when other people sin against us. Right. What if he were sinless? Whoa. What if you were the only upright person in a world of sinners? What if nobody understood you? What if your family rejected you? What if your enemies slandered you at every yeah, turn? Yeah. What if the 12 people closest to you didn't really get what you were really about Confused. for most of the time? Yeah. And yeah. were, you know, making wrong moves at, at almost <laughs> every yeah. step. What then? Like, and you were homeless. And you were homeless. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you're undergoing a mission that, yeah, again, no one, you're, you're, you're on an island apart from, God the Father. No one gets you. No one knows who you are, really. And what we see, and if you just read the Gospels, is a story of the patience of God in the mm-hmm. person of Christ. Let's go to the cross, Scott Hubbard, and that is an illustration of God's patience. One of the verses that sticks out to me every time I read the Gospel of Matthew is just Jesus in Matthew 26 when Peter goes and cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear, mm-hmm. you know, the, the reason that Jesus gives to stop him, one of the things he says is, do you not know that if I would call right now, 12 legions of angels would come? 12 legions of angels standing ready for his call. They, mm-hmm. they could have come. He mm-hmm. could have called. He could have hit the abort button at any point. I know. And yet there he went. He and went what, to the cross. 4,500 soldiers in a legion, roughly. Yeah, that's. I don't know the exact. Yeah, number. I think Is it's forty five hundred okay. makes a legion. It's a lot. So add twelve <laughs> to that. You got a lot of foot soldiers ready yeah. to defend you, or sky soldiers for or sky soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> or sky soldiers. Yeah, yeah that's and awesome. so here in the in. At the cross, we see not only that God is patient, but how God can be so patient. Yeah. Because all all the while, all the time, the patience of God was resting on the fact that one day His Son would come to pay for the sins of His people. Yeah. That's awesome. Scott, can you stick around a little bit longer? Yeah. Do you, are you in a big hurry to go anywhere? Because I'd no, love no. for you to stay. No, nope, sounds good. Awesome, good. Because I want to ask you, uh, I want to start a new short series, which is a new friend, same seven questions. Okay, let's so do I'm it. So I'm going to ask the same seven questions to a new friend every other week or every week or however long it's going to last, probably two or three months. So okay. I'd be very curious to hear what you're going to say. Scott Hubbard is my guest. You can go to desiringgod.org and H-U-B-B. Uh, A-R-D, Scott Hubbard at DesiringGod.org. And the article we talked about was Slow to Anger, The Beauty of God's Perfect Patience. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, lots more with Scott. I can hardly wait.
You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Drive, drive Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. Welcome to the show. I'm very glad that you are uh, with me today. I'm always glad that you're with me because I look forward to having this time, uh, whether you listen live or maybe you listen on the podcast or who knows when you listen. I'm just glad you listen. Scott Hubbard was my guest in the previous half hour, and I I asked him if he would stay because I wanted to start a new series. It's going to be a short one. It's not going to last too long, but the name of it is um, New Friends, Same Seven Questions. And I want to ask uh, Bible teachers and theologians these same seven questions, and I want to hear their answer. I know it will be... um, edifying for all of us. So, Scott, welcome back to the show. <laughs> you know, you it's good to be here. It's been a long time. Yes, you haven't moved from your chair <laughs> in the last four and a half minutes. So, True. thank you. Yeah, yeah no, glad to be here. Glad to have you with. Um, tell our listeners real quick about you and Desiring God and, and uh, your family and your church and everything else. Okay, sure. I have been in Minneapolis for some years now, and I work at a ministry called Desiring God, which is a web ministry sort of like an online magazine. We publish articles, but we also do other stuff, multimedia sermons and videos and podcasts. Yeah. And then I live with my wife, Bethany, and our two boys in South Minneapolis. And mm-hmm. I serve as a lay pastor at All People's Church. Nice. Which and is just a church plant four and a half years old. How old are your boys? Almost three and then nine months. Oh, wow. So that's busy. Yeah, it is busy. Are they sleepers? They, they sleep great. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that means mom and dad sleep good too. <laughs> yep, for the yeah. most part. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, so this idea I had, which was uh, started off, I don't know, a month ago or, or so ago, I wanted to ask friends, theologians, Bible teachers, deep thinkers, uh, the same seven questions. Yeah, it's yeah. intriguing. Looking forward to it. Well, yeah. So this is, uh, you're the first person. So welcome. Well, great. I can. And I have no idea how this is going to go. <laughs> so, but I trust uh, your depth and wisdom, and I'm looking forward to hearing. How you would respond. Here's the first question. Is man separated from God? Yes. <laughs> okay, next question. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's, a, uh, it's one of those questions that if you live in the world of the Bible is so plain and clear that the answer is yes, that we are born separated from God. And of the many places we could go, you can just go to the the pretty classic statement in Paul's words in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're born that way, alienated from God, in need of reconciliation, separate from him. Or the descriptions that Paul gives in Romans 3 that no one does good, not even one. No one seeks for God. That portrait of humanity is not the one that Perhaps we grew, we naturally grew up believing or mm-hmm. were told. It's not the one that our broader society will, will tell us. But the message of Christianity, the reason that Jesus came is because we are separate from God, alienated from him, at enmity with him mm-hmm. until we're reconciled to mm-hmm. him. We did not participate in 
Adam and Eve's disobedience, why are we labeled as sinners and given the disposition of a sin nature? <laughs> you're just going, you're jumping in the deep end. I know, I am. I'm sorry. I'll back it up. I'll back it up. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. And that's, that's original sin is what you're getting at there. Well, I don't know what I'm getting at. I'm just, it's, yeah, making, I mean, that's, I guess the, the phrase that, that some people put on that. I suppose, yeah. Is one of those, especially for an individualistic culture like ours, yeah. we can struggle to uh, understand and embrace more than a lot of other doctrines that maybe fit more naturally into the categories we have in our um, Western worldview. But yes, the Bible is teaching that at, in the beginning, we had a representative, okay. namely our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. and that when they fell, the, their whole race, their offspring were, took part in the corruption that they brought the world into mm-hmm. such that every human now, every human born from them, which is every human is um, a sinner, not only by choice, but also by nature. Yeah. And we're going to see in Romans five, uh, not only, you know, so that, that strikes us as bad news and it's supposed to, but in Romans five, Paul is going to use that paradigm, that framework, the fact that we have a representative who, who um, in the beginning was our, uh, our head, the one who stood in our place and he failed. And therefore we were plunged into sin. The counterpart to that is that now we have a new representative yeah. who lived righteously for us, mm-hmm. who suffered and died for us. And we take part in his victory due to nothing, nothing we've done on mm-hmm. our own. So, mm-hmm. Uh, either we live in Adam and are separated from God, or we live in Christ and are reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. This is Scott Hubbard without notes, and I love it. So, Scott, as you're holding your son, an hour old, you knew in your in your heart, you and your wife knew that I'm holding a little sinner, right? A- absolutely, a little sin nature. Absolutely. Okay, and yeah. I know you, we need a robust doctrine of common grace yes, as well, we which yes. is to say that uh, just be, because we are sinful does not mean we are as sinful as we could be, or that we don't have. Uh, the image of God still in us. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything we do is always as bad as it could be, but no, there's, there's beauty in okay. humanity even right. still, but we need reconciliation. All right. I don't know how to pace myself with this new series because I've never done it before. We need to keep moving. So I feel Let's like I'm already in it. the weeds, right? Because <laughs> we've got to, got to keep moving here. All right. Yeah. Question number two, what is the fate of the lost and what are we saved from? Yeah. So the Lord Jesus is going to talk about this more than any other biblical writer. And it's just helpful for me to remember that because here we have the Lord of love, the Prince of peace, the man who came to rescue us from our sin. And he is the one who talked the most about hell and that the fate of the lost, the fate of those not reconciled to God is eternal judgment. And therefore what we need to be saved from is at bottom, you know, there are different ways, there are different true answers to that question. You could say we need to be saved from our sin. That is absolutely true. But ultimately we need to be saved from the far down consequence of our sin, which is the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. So this is just Romans 5, 9. This is verbatim what Paul says. uh, he's talking about our justification. And in the context of talking about our justification, he said, since we've been justified by the blood of Christ, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
So that's where Paul goes to talk about ultimately what we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from the wrath of God, which lies on us because of our sin. And that is the one thing, well, that is the main thing we cannot save ourselves from. Mm-hmm. We need an outside redeemer. Mm-hmm. All right. Question number three, Scott Hubbard of seven questions is, what is the point a person is saved and how? You know, you talk about in John 3 that you must be born from above. So what is the point a person is saved and how? And what does someone have to do to be saved? Yeah. So let me start with the first one. What is, what is the point a person is saved and how? You're saying like, at what point are they saved? Well, yeah. I mean, because you hear some people that can say, you know, on October 9th at, at two in the afternoon, I, yeah. I understood I was a sinner and I invited Christ into my life. And there's other people that will say, well, I don't know. I grew up in a Christian home. I've been a Christian my whole life. And, sure. You know, so yeah. um, both are equally acceptable and, yeah. and awesome, right? Yeah, so, that's right. But uh, what what is a point? You know, the Bible teaches that you're born from above. That sounds like yes. an event, an, a moment, a, yes. a something, a, a transformation, right? That's right. Okay. There is a moment. There's a transformation, even though some of us won't be able to remember exactly when it was mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, it, it can be a helpful analogy to think that um, we don't, we don't always, the, the process of waking from sleep is not always instantaneous in, in the way that we, uh, in our remembrance of it or in our experience of it, there is a moment when you are decisively awake <laughs> from sleep. Right. But sometimes for some people, that process may have felt more fuzzy, like, oh, I don't know exactly when it was. The important thing is that you're awake now. That's the important thing. Mm-hmm. All who are awake to Christ are in Christ. All who are believing in Christ, trusting in Christ are in him, even if the moment exactly when it happened is fuzzy. But Jesus says this in John five twenty four to get at your question. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And so the being born again from above, which is the work of the spirit mm-hmm. that, that Jesus talks about in John 3 there, is linked to this experience of hearing the word of God and believing it. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And if we spend more time in scripture, you build out that idea of what what is belief. It's not merely this intellectual assent, but it's something that reshapes our will and turns us away from sin. But in that moment, um, it produces, it leads to this repentance, this new lifestyle. But in the moment when we hear the word of God that presents to us who Jesus is and what he has done in the cross and in the resurrection. And we say, I need that. And we embrace Mm -hmm. Jesus as our Lord, our savior, our treasure. Mm -hmm. In that moment, salvation has happened. Awesome. So this is part two of question three, subset A. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What does someone have to do to be saved? So in order to be saved... You're going to see different formulations of this throughout the New Testament because some of these terms overlapped, but the most succinct way to put it would be to repent and believe, Mm -hmm. which are two terms that overlap significantly. You can't do the one without the other. You can't ultimately repent apart from a believing faith in Jesus as your savior. You can't ultimately believe in Jesus as your savior without repenting, namely without turning away from sin because faith is this kind of whole-souled movement. 
And so if you're going to, if you think of, you know, think of it in physical terms, if you're going to embrace Jesus with your arms, then you got to let go of what you're currently embracing. So being saved, that moment where someone hears the word of Christ and believes in, believes in him is a moment of repentance, turning away from sin and faith, turning to Jesus. So the enslaving power of sin gets broken in that moment. That's right. The yeah. condemning power of sin is broken. It's yes. no more, yeah. our, the penalty is no more hanging over us. And the enslaving power is broken, even though it's now a lifelong war. Right. Because we, we say we want to repent from sin, but then we want to start living obediently to Christ. But the um, sanctification is going to be a process. That's right. So if yeah. you maybe used bad words before you came to faith and maybe after faith in Christ, some are still going to come out, right? Yep. Something like that is a bad example. Gee, Bill, come up with better examples. <laughs> it's called show prep. Um, but you, you know what I mean? Uh, it, there's yeah. a process. There's totally a process. Yeah. There's progress. There is growth in Christ likeness right. that begins from the moment of salvation until final breath. And it's not perfect till heaven. Yeah. Scott Hubbard is my guest. He is at desiringgod.org. And he was nice enough to uh, agree to come on a brand new segment I've started today with Scott. It's called New Friend, Same Seven Questions. So over the course of the next several months, I'll have different uh, Bible teachers and theologians um, and professors, uh, and I will ask the same seven questions. So I think it'll be a wonderful little short study. We'll take a break, and I'll be right back with more with Scott Hubbard. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to have Scott Harvard with me. And I've started a new series, uh, probably last three months, but the name of this series is New Friend, Same Seven Questions. So I'm going to have uh, friends and Bible scholars and teachers and professors uh, come in and a- answer these same seven questions. So um, Scott Hubbard has uh, done really well on the first four. Now I think they're going to get tougher. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what is the fate of the saved. And what are we saved to? So the fate of the saved, the glorious fate of the saved is heaven and a new heavens and a new earth. So you can think of that in in chronological terms when Mm -hmm. the saved die right now, they go to heaven, their souls go to heaven while their bodies go to the grave and then the long-term eternal fate is a new heavens and a new earth made by God himself where they will live raised from the dead. That's one way of answering the question. Mm-hmm. But really, we need to know what, what is the heart of heaven? What is the heart of the new heavens and the new earth? And you can, you know, you can think of all sorts of amazing things about heaven that our, our sins are forgiven there and we're adopted children of God there and we're justified there and there's no more sin or, or sorrow or sickness anymore. All those things are amazing. But 
the scriptures are going to bring us higher and deeper and say, ultimately, the fate of the saved, what we are saved to, is God himself. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ himself suffered for sins that he might, the, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That, that's the purpose statement, mm-hmm. that he might bring us to God. So we started by talking about, are we separated from God? Yes, the, and that's where the Bible talks about, here's the beginning of our problem. We're separated from God and the fate of our redemption is that we are reunited to mm-hmm. God. <laughs> Scott, maybe I should have thought about the word fate better because when I think of the fate of the saved, when a person becomes saved, they start living their eternity in the present. Yeah, God that's right. gives us eternal life. It's not a future, it, it's not only a future reward, but it's also a present possession. Yes, that's that right. right. Uh, this is eternal life. Jesus says in John 17, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. So eternal life invades the present. That heavenly life of knowing God, loving God, rejoicing in God is something that happens now. One of my favorite verses is in 1 Peter 1, where he talks about how though you have not yet seen Jesus, you love him. And though you do not now, not, do not now yet see him, you rejoice in him. Mm-hmm. with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Mm. And so the fate is is a communion with Christ now that produces an increasing change of life, an increasing conformity to Christ until the day where we get to see Christ face to face and be like him fully forever. Sounds like really good news. <laughs> it is good it news. Have, okay, what are we saved to? I know so, you kind of answered that. Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I ultimately just, to God, but are you talking about like in this life? Mm, or, or what? How, yeah, say more of it. Yeah, mean. I mean, I think you did answer it. I'm just making sure that you gave us everything you had for that. <laughs> um, I mean, another way to put it is, you know, to we talked in the beginning about Ephesians chapter two. Yes. Paul talking at the beginning there about how we're dead in sins. When he gets to the end there in Ephesians 2.10, he says the purpose of our salvation we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that God has destined us for, that we are to walk in good works. So he, he creates us for a life full of incredible purpose, uh, namely a life of following Jesus in good works in all manner, all spheres of life. So, mm-hmm. so tell me if you're you know, thinking uh, of something else. There, no, but. no, I, I like that. Thank you very much. Scott Hubbard's my guest. Here's another question, Scott. I think this is number five. Uh, do all who believe move from death to life? Yes. All who believe move from death to life. There is not a category of Christian who believes in Jesus and yet still is in the realm of death. Okay. So we saw that earlier in John 5 where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has passed from death to life. He does not enter into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So that passing from death to life is something that infallibly happens for everybody who hears the word of Christ and receives him. And even though there's... um, there's an experience that can be common, particularly for some kinds of people where just because someone is has passed from death to life doesn't mean they always know it. Doesn't mean they always That's are true. living in the experience that That's true. they know they're a believer, they know they're in the land, the, the land of the living, they know they're in the life of Christ. 
there is such a thing as lacking assurance. Yeah. It's something that I've dealt with in my Christian life. Thank and you for sharing that vulnerability. Isn't yeah. it also called understanding our identity in Christ? Yeah, absolutely. Once and we know who we are in Christ, then yeah. we know who we are. That's right. I, I, I do think a lot of the fight of assurance of knowing that you are have passed from death to life is a going more deeply into all that God says about those who are in Christ, what is true of them. Mm-hmm. All right, Scott Hubbard, here's question number six. Has God given us all we need for life and godliness as believers? <laughs> yes. And if I said no, then I would be disagreeing. <laughs> if disagreeing you said no, with, uh, we'd be wrapping up this interview. Yeah, we would. That's right. And I would be disagreeing with the Apostle Peter because he, you're, you're just quoting Peter there. That's uh, what I you're doing. I feel like I am there. Yeah. yeah. Or he's, he says that God himself in Second Peter 1, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay. All things. And so one of the upshots of that is that, and we could go also to different places where Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 talks about how God provides an escape from every temptation. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 10. Yeah, yeah 10, 13. 10, 13, yeah. Uh, namely, that there isn't any situation we're in where sin is inevitable, which you can feel, it can feel like that is the case. Like uh, we're in a situation where we must sin. And Peter is saying, God has granted us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Paul is saying that God provides an escape from every temptation, which means we have, we are in a place of power over sin, which is is not to say that uh, we're ever going to be sinless in this life. Scripture is clear that we're not. There's no perfection until heaven. And yet I do think, and you're talking about identity with Christ in the last question, there is a way of living the Christian life that is kind of in a defeatist mode. Mm-hmm where you assume from the outset that you're going to sin and lo and behold, you do. And <laughs> it's not the attitude of the New Testament. No, I agree. Or you live in a mindset that says, God is not giving me all that I need for life. Yes. And then right. I won't even say the and godliness part right now. I'll just say, I'm not getting all that I need for life. Yeah. Cause I've got so many unmet expectations and disappointments and broken hearts and everything else. Yeah, that's right. And it's perhaps helpful to say in that, that um, the famous verse from Philippians four that so often gets co-opted for sports and other things like that. I can do all things through him who strengthens me is in relation to contentment where Paul is talking about how he has been brought low and he has abounded and in every, any and every circumstance, he's learned the secret of facing that mm-hmm. and of being content in every circumstance, which is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the, the reason we have all things that pertain to life, therefore all things that pertain to contentment, is because we have Christ himself. Mm-hmm. And he strengthens us, even if, even in, and that's not to, you know, sell short those moments where we feel absolutely gutted. There is a sorrowful yet always rejoicing kind of attitude to the Christian. Mm -hmm. All right, Scott Hubbard, question number seven. Thank you for staying with me to the end. And thank you for being my first guest on New Friends, Same Seven Questions. I think you've done spectacularly. Got a lot (laughs) of nice feedback on the text line appraising your performance here. Oh, well. Yeah. I'll I'll, uh, (laughs) I'll let that pass. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I get it. All right. As we submit to him and die to ourself, will we have an abundant life? Yes. Yes, we will. Jesus said those words that he came to 
bring life and give it abundantly. He came to bring abundant life. And the answer to that question, answering yes, is, is really just uh, clarity comes when you just work on your definitions of what is the abundant life. Say more about that. That's really interesting. Because uh, if the abundant life is having our expectations for life met, having a life that um, fits our ideas of what is comfortable and happy, then, um, then no, an abundant life is not guaranteed. But if an abundant life is knowing your maker and of having communion with him day by day and knowing the bliss of having your sins forgiven and having the hope of heaven and having a present Holy Spirit who is with you in every moment and who gives joy that is beyond the boundaries of this world, then yes, mm-hmm. God gives us what we need for an abundant life. Mm-hmm. Still in this question, how do you die to self? Die to self by daily taking up your cross and following Jesus. And the key point there, I think, is following Jesus. Mm-hmm. So death to self happens not only when you turn away from self, but when you turn toward Christ who is the reason we die to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we never die to ourselves or turn from ourselves simply because that's the thing to do, merely from a place of self-control or self-denial. But we do it because we're reaching for something far greater. Mm-hmm. We're reaching for greater life in Christ because he holds out to us promises that are better than what the promises of self and sin hold out to us. Yeah. Scott Harbour, you crushed it. Well, great. Glad really, to be here. really fun. I was just going to say, I don't know how this will work out, but I, I, I liked my guest and I liked the questions and it really was <laughs> a, a wonderful uh, half hour. So thank you very, very much for being number one friend. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, Glad you to be bet. here. You bet. Scott Hubbard again has been my guest. You can go learn more about Scott at DesiringGod.org. I'm glad you're catching this episode. It's a good one. Maybe you didn't hear it all and you just had this thought. Well, how can I do that? How can I hear it all? Well, my advanced training in answering that question is to go right to MyFaithRadio.com, and it's there. You can hear the entire podcast from start to finish. Thanks for listening. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.